The Book of Isaiah, Chapter 53 Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is Truth. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. Thank you for tuning in today. With me in the studio is the pastor of Belcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. Awesome, man. Thanks for uh, coming and hanging out with me for a little bit. And uh, Always my joy to be with you, my friend. Absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit today. Obviously, this is Holy Week. What is the proper term would be the other question, because that was one of my first questions before I actually label it anything. You know, what is it? We're in the week of what a lot of people would consider to be Easter. Yeah. You know? it, yeah. I don't know if there's technically a, a, a correct term. There's some incorrect terms. We're not talking about bunny rabbits. That's right, for sure. Right. But uh, probably most technical would be uh, Passover week. If mm-hmm. you're going if you're following chronologically through the scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this was the week that, uh, you know, not necessarily in our calendar, but as you're going through the scriptures, as we're studying the scriptures, um, <coughs> this would have been the week that uh, they would have been celebrating Passover, getting ready for uh, the, the Feast of Booze and all of that that went with it. And, uh, of course, that was the time that Christ was uh, went to the cross as the ultimate Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people refer to it as his Passion Week, Right. And right. so that's often a technical term, the, the Lord's passion. So, you know, it it yeah, it depends. There's a lot of cultural baggage on whatever term you're going to add to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't 
at this church, we don't uh, recognize the practice of Lent. Yeah, it's not and, in the Bible. Yeah, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> so that's why we don't recognize it. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know. But the passion is. Yeah. You know, every gospel, of course. It's interesting. John's gospel focuses almost entirely on the, on that one week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every gospel does. But it's interesting to see. Mark's gospel, we're getting ready. Not too long, we're going to turn the corner in the and pretty much the last section of the whole gospel you know four chapters focuses on that final week Mm -hmm. and so it's amazing how that becomes a focal point in every gospel Mm -hmm. john's in particular because it all boils down to that right and there was a lot that happened in that final week yeah like um today would be considered maudy thursday is that the 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 proper term well yeah not biblical right you know we're not in biblical terms, because again, you're following more of the Hebrew uh, calendar of Passover if you're mm-hmm. going with the biblical terms. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of that gets gets culturally brought in with a lot of church history and mm-hmm. and Roman Catholicism. Honestly, right. that's where it gets really confusing, and that's um, Lent and all of that uh, uh, unbiblical, or should I say, non-biblical extra traditions that get fostered into Passion Week and. Um, yeah, some of it is just uh, unhelpful and unclear because mm-hmm. it's unbiblical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the irony is that I ne- I've, I've never I went to Catholic school as a kid, yeah. but never heard of uh, Lent until yeah. I went to a Methodist church. Yeah, which yeah. I'm like, what is Lent? And yeah. actually, it's that stuff in your pocket, right? But <laughs> actually, before that, I heard of it from a friend who uh, was like, "Yeah, man, I'm, I'm giving up this for Lent." Like what is Lent? And he he wasn't Catholic either. Yeah, but it's amazing how those traditions have spilled over into the Protestant Church. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know? yeah, they have because most churches aren't Protestant. Explain what you just said. Yeah, most churches aren't Protestant. Well, they don't even know what that word means. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we would classify them as Protestant because they're not Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. right? And so you just used it in that term. But if you ask them what does it mean to be Protestant? They would, they would honestly, they would say, I don't know. I mean, the word means protester and it means we're protesting continue. We still protest against the Roman Catholic doctrine. And uh, so when you start carrying over Roman Catholic tradition into your Protestant church, you're no longer protesting. You're no longer Protestant in the historical traditional sense. Mm. You're starting to integrate, which is what, which is what many churches are today. They're an integration of not just Roman Catholicism, but worldly ideologies with all kinds of social justice, all kinds of, uh, of uh, philosophies of man, ideologies, cultural Christianity, Roman Catholicism, charismatic doctrine, uh, Buddhism, mysticism, um, Islam. It's all just this menagerie of thought and doctrine. It just kind of gets, just gets melted together into this, into this uh, doctrinal ball of mess. And that's, that's what I mean by that. So mm-hmm. a true Protestant church continues to protest the Roman Catholic doctrine because it's damning and mm-hmm. false and confusing and unbiblical and uh, anti-God. And so, so uh, yeah, churches that start to pull some of that stuff in are just, they're just confused. Uh, obviously, most of the time they're doing it in their mind to try to, generate some sort of spirituality in their people, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a process. Here's something you can do to get ready for Easter. And really it builds a legalistic mindset really is what it does. Uh, we don't need to give up anything because Christ gave it all up. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's, it's taking the focus off of really what the focus should be. Mm-hmm. It should be Philippians two that he came from heaven, giving up everything mm-hmm. so that he might take on, uh, the slave, take on humanity uh, so that he might bear our sin according to the scripture and die and be raised again according to the scripture to be the lamb slain. I mean, it has nothing to do with me giving up anything, mm-hmm. right? Because I can't give up any. I can give up everything. It ain't going to help any, anything, right. Mm-hmm. right? It's about him who gave up everything. Mm-hmm. And so it just it starts to it starts to really feed into my flesh, which says I want to give up something so that I can check the box. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, that's Roman Catholicism is all about that. You got to earn your way. You got to climb your ladder. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's that it's that false justification by works, which Paul made very clear 
man shall not be justified by by works, but by faith alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I did not plan on talking about this, but now I have more questions. I'm sure you do. <laughs> and uh, by the way, I gave up Lent for Lent. Um, <laughs> the term Easter is yeah. where does that term come from? Is it a proper term to use? Are we to use like, because I, I, there was this legalistic thing there, like resurrection Sunday, yeah, use that I, versus Easter. I don't know. I honestly, I, I don't know where Easter came from. I don't know the etymology of the word. Maybe mm-hmm. I should. I don't, you know, I, I'm, it's neither here nor, nor there for me. I use resurrection Sunday a lot right? because I think that that term is more technical. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think Easter has more of a cultural baggage to it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, not even, not even probably what the term when it was coined. And I, I can't remember. I'm sure I, I, in my history, I've talked about it. I just can't remember right off the top of my head right now, but um, I'm sure it had a, in its etymology, it had, it had some sort of theological meaning at the time but the problem with words especially in our culture they're constantly changing yeah and uh, i know today it doesn't have any theological meaning for the general population Mm. it speaks of bunny rabbits and eggs and baskets and it's just a glorified christmas presents all over again in the spring lilies yeah yeah it's it's just a it's just a spring Right. It's like plant flowers, go to the nursery, get some more shrubs or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. It's what you do at Easter. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously in church world, it, it has more of a theological context. But when you say resurrection day or resurrection Sunday, now we're now we're defining it pretty clearly mm-hmm. and we're uh, making it very particular. It has to do with a specific event that changed the world. And mm-hmm. obviously we know that to be the greatest, I think the greatest miracle ever done, yeah. the greatest vindication, the greatest proof, all those things, which I'm sure we'll get into. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think you're safer just calling it what it is. Resurrection Sunday that's is it. the safest term to use. That's it. Because he was raised on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's a, that's a pretty big deal. Wasn't raised on the Sabbath, you mm-hmm. know, you defining new covenant, all kinds of things are happening right in this event. And, uh, yeah. The last, last supper. Yeah, we you talked know. about that last mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yep. absolutely. There's yeah. major transition, mm-hmm. right? And that's why that's why a lot of times the New Testament is confusing for people because in many ways the New Testament gospels are still Old Testament, right? His, history. Mm-hmm. They're still in the they're still under law. Mm-hmm. They're still going through. They're, it's the final phase of the Old Testament and that's why they're still sacrificing and all of that. And but but it's a transition. Christ has come and he's beginning the transition to the new covenant and uh yeah so yeah so um and i guess this is probably the last kind of part to that the irony is that last week well you know last sunday i did not realize that it was palm sunday yeah and i think that because of the emphasis that is put on the uh the work of christ being done and every sunday should should we should be honoring and remembering Christ at, every at, Sunday's you know, resurrection every Sunday. Yeah. So you've heard for, me say that a lot. Yeah. As a kid, like it was like, Oh, it's Palm Sunday and we yeah. would get the palms and we would hit each other with it and <laughs> pop each other in the eye, and, you know, <laughs> get in trouble. But I it's, it. it's weird to me, honestly, yeah. it's not weird in a bad way, but different. Yeah. I would say yeah. that it, it didn't even dawn on me. Cause I, 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 text I didn't you, even like, mention it. You didn't mention it. And no. I, I text you and I'm like, yeah, man, you know, we should record on Sunday. And you're like, well, this is Palm Sunday. And I'm like, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I had to look no, at no, my I, calendar. You were talking about recording next Sunday. And I said, it is oh, Easter. Oh, yeah, it's Easter. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't re- I was like, yeah. wait a minute. It is Easter. Well, Resurrection Sunday. I was yeah. like, I didn't even realize it. Yeah. Because of the emphasis of, and this is one thing that I am very appreciative of. Yeah. The, the emphasis every single Sunday about remembering what Christ has done Absolutely. for us. Absolutely. And with that being like, this is a great segue into what I really want to ask you a lot of questions about yeah. is a passage of scripture that uh, is extremely, I would say it's bursting with information and bursting with, uh, 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 what was, what's the word? Not, not necessarily it, what happened, obviously yeah. prophecy, it's, it's bursting with that prophecy, yep. but it's also for me, it explained a lot about really 
not just how uh, much of a sinner I am, but yeah. how wonderful the cross is. Amen. And and so Isaiah 53 is really, you, you just heard me uh, read it. So I want to talk and ask a few questions of uh, Pastor Matt here about it because of the fact that it is such a glorious passage and it's, to be honest, it's just been kind of messing with me the last couple, you know, last couple of days. You it know? will. So, so here's a couple of questions. One, it comes in, and what I didn't notice until uh, I actually sat down to read it was that this passage actually starts. Yep. And chapter fifty-two, verse thirteen. Exactly. And with that being the case, you know, going through, and the first question that is asked in uh, chapter fifty-three is who has believed what he has heard from us. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And on Wednesday nights, uh, we have been studying, um, <laughs> we have been going through the fundamentals of the faith, and our two of our elders uh, have been uh, taking us very, uh, very quickly through a lot of things, but very strategically. Mm-hmm. And we have been learning how to study the text. And when we're studying the text, we tend to one, it's like, just imagine three columns. One is the observations. The middle one are the questions. And the last one would be the answers. Mm. So for me, the first thing that I observed is one, that this is a huge, this is a very long uh, passage. Yep. Yep. It's longer than what it says it is. It's only 12 verses, but it's really uh, 15 verses, yep. uh, including 15, yep. uh, 13 through uh, 15. But then it asks a question mm-hmm. um, in that. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Mm-hmm. Now, when I started to read this, uh, and this is my first question. Going back to verse 13, my servant shall act wisely, but he shall be high and lifted up mm-hmm. and shall be exalted. Mm-hmm. The first thing that came to my brain was the serpent that Moses lifted in the desert Mm -hmm. and Jesus being uh, using that as uh, just as a son of man, you know, in John three, he's like, as you know, as as Moses lifted up the serpent, he's talking to Nicodemus. So shall the son of man be lifted up. Mm -hmm. So in my brain, it's like all of these things are starting now to connect Mm -hmm. into like this big, like, not necessarily like this, like uh, a confusion, but all in order. Like it's almost like the, the like the planets are aligning, and it's like it's shining this huge light for me to actually see. I'm like, oh man, this is so great. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of go through and give us, uh, you know, a, a quickly? <laughs> I have to say that to to this <laughs> pastor very quickly, kind of like a rundown of what we're seeing here yeah. and yeah. how it applies to. Uh, Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. So, um, for you, yeah, before you jump into the text, you have to understand the context, right? right? And so, this is a prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah really broken down, um, essentially the judgments that are coming and the and the deliverance that is coming. You see, the first part of the book is really uh, so much about judgment, judgment, judgment upon Israel and judgment upon the nations. Mm-hmm. You see that all the way up. You can trace it. It goes all the way up till about um, uh, verse 30. What is it? Verse 36. Hold on a second. Uh, yeah. Right. Verse. Th- uh, once you get to verse. Verse 35 and then verse 36 or chapter 36. Yep. When starting in chapter 36, it starts narrative. So mm-hmm. the whole genre changes. So it's all prophecy, prophecy, and it's judgment, 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 especially starting around uh, chapter 12, all the way through. It's judgment on all these nations, judgment, 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 mm-hmm. judgment's coming. And then you get to 36, and it goes to historical narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Jumps off the page. Mm-hmm. And so he starts writing about Israel <clears throat> back uh, back at that time with uh, with Hezekiah and Sennacherib and, and how— uh, how uh, the armies were uh, surrounding Israel and what was going on in specifically at that time. That Mm -hmm. goes on for about three chapters, okay? And then starting at um, about verse 39, it ends, chapter chapter 39, it Mm -hmm. ends, the historical narrative, and it goes back to prophecy again in chapter 40. And it's in that transition that that he, he talks some more about judgment, but it's primary deliverance is what his prophecy is. So he goes, it's all judgment in the beginning. Even I, Isaiah started right, right from the very beginning in Isaiah chapter 1. 
mm-hmm. right? It's just like he's talking about how Israel has abandoned uh, God, <clears throat> Yahweh, and uh, the donkey knows its master, and the and the the creature knows it's the one who feeds him. But my people don't know me, and I've been caring for them, and and that's when he goes right into the woes, all the woes, and then he gives that phenomenal uh, picture of of God's grace to Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter six, mm-hmm. but then how he's, he, he's going to send Isaiah out, but the people are not going to listen, right? Judgment, judgment. It's just judgment all the way through. Mm-hmm. But he keeps talking about the servant who's coming, which is the Messiah. And he's going to come. That's why Isaiah nine talks about it. Isaiah 11 talks about it. The Prince of peace, he's coming and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And so there's this, there's this constant, hearkening back to this one who's coming in the midst of all this judgment, right? And all that judgment is looking forward to the day of the Lord Mm -hmm. judgment where God will judge the earth, which you can read about that most specifically in the book of revelation where a lot of these really become, become fulfilled. And so when you get to chapter 40, now it's, you can even see it right there in the heading comfort, comfort God's people. It's comfort. So he's had all these chapters of judgment, and then you get to see almost a mini picture of it in ch- in chapters thirty six to thirty nine, because you see judgment on Sennacherib, mm-hmm. which one angel killed one hundred eighty five thousand in one night, right? Massive judgment. Wow. Yeah. So when the Assyrians come in, and Hezekiah is like, "We're done," and Sennacherib is mocking God and mocking. Israel and telling uh, the, 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 the Jews, do not believe your God. He can't do nothing. And then one angel kills 185,000. They wake up the next morning. They're all dead, just dead. Wow. Yeah. And so it's almost as if in the, in the midst of all those chapters of judgment, God gives you a dramatic display of what he's talking about and what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Just like drama, vivid, boom, there it is. My hand is not too short. Watch what I can do. And of course, that's historically what happens at that moment in his, in Israel's history. And then, of course, Babylon comes in. And so then starting in chapter 40, it really the tone of the text changes while there's still judgment woven throughout, especially when you get to the end in 65, 66. But it's primarily positive towards Israel, primarily deliverance of Israel. Mm-hmm. And this is all speaking future, right. future deliverance mm-hmm. is coming. Right. Even though I prophesied judgment upon Israel and you can read about that specifically in chapters 11 and 12. And then he turns to Egypt and Moab and all these other nations. But he says, starting in chapter 40, now preach comfort to my people. That's Mm -hmm. why he starts. Right. So it transitions to a section of deliverance. And 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 then it just goes it goes on and on and on. It talks about he's going to judge the nations, but he's going to save Israel. He's going to judge the nations and. And, and then he gets specific about Israel is the chosen of God to be a light to the nations. But there's a specific chosen within Israel, and that's the Messiah who's going to come. And mm-hmm. you can start to read about him in chapter 42. He br- brings it up, and it's talking about the Christ, the Messiah who's coming. And so, um, and, then, and then it brings out the reality of, of uh, Cyrus is going to be, because this is all pre this is all uh, pre um, exile when, when this is being prophesied, mm-hmm. right? So Israel's still going to be, uh, taken into captivity by Babylon and then 70 years, and then they're going to be released. And so all these prophecies are going to mean massive to Israel while they're in exile. Cause it looks like God has abandoned them. Right. And Isaiah's prophecies are going to be, no, no, he hasn't abandoned us. We're here for 70 years. And again, Daniel's going to be reading this and Jeremiah, and that's what Daniel that's what is going to—he's going to pick up on right. when Daniel's like, "Ooh, wait a minute, we're about ready to be released because mm-hmm. it's only seventy years." Well, right here in in chapter forty-five, he prophesies again deliverance. Remember, this section is deliverance. Chapter forty-five is all about what Cyrus. Well, chapter forty-five is a hundred and forty-five years. So chapter forty-five even calls the man by name. Wow. Cyrus, this is 150 years before Cyrus is even born. This is crazy. Before it even happens. Wow. So they're calling him. Isaiah even names him. There's a there's a servant. So mm-hmm. it's, there's all these servants coming, and and so this is the servant Cyrus who comes, who's the Medo, the the Medes and the Persians, right? Who overtake Babylon. Mm-hmm. So they t- they over what you can read about in in what is it Daniel Daniel six Daniel seven no Daniel five. And where um, the Medes come in and, and literally take the whole kingdom. And then what happens? They begin to release 
they begin to release Israel and and send them back to Jerusalem and and which is what God said would happen. And so you see this reality of of the overtaking of Babylon, the the judgment on Israel's enemies and the deliverance of uh, of Israel. So so that comes up all throughout this section and how Israel's going to be delivered, Israel's going to be refined, Israel's going to be blessed amidst times of judgment even for them and for some of their people, but the primary emphasis is deliverance, okay? So when you get to um, Isaiah 53, again, almost every chapter, comfort my people, comfort my people, encourage my people. Now remember, because they're going to be reading this in the midst of what? Exile, in the mm-hmm. midst of they're, they're receiving that judgment, which was in part, not full fulfillment, but in part, the first part of Isaiah, where they're getting that judgment because they're in exile. Right. But they also need to read the comfort, 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 because mm-hmm. deliverance is coming. Of course, they get that in part with Cyrus, but there's still a greater deliverance that's needed. They needed deliverance from their sin. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's when you're getting to um, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52 it talks about the coming salvation. And so much of what's written in Isaiah and throughout the prophets is dealing with the millennial kingdom. Um, there's more prophecy of end times in the prophets than anywhere, really, in the Bible. Because mm-hmm. most of what the prophets talk about is the coming reign of Christ, where he reigns as king uh, from Jerusalem, from the, a literal throne of David, where he reigns and for a thousand years, as Revelation 20 says, six times. And he's reigning there, and Israel is then in their land, have received, fulfill, fulfilled the fulfillment of all these prophecies that, that the prophets talk about. And that's when they're ultimately reestablished and delivered and all of that. But in the midst of that, so that's chapter 52, but in the midst of that, they need a Messiah. They need one to come and ultimately deliver them from their sin. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's the, the great servant of, of Yahweh, mm-hmm. which he's referred to. Sorry, go ahead. The servant. Yeah. The servant. And um, so that takes us up to the end of 52. And there you see, behold, my servant shall act wisely. That's the Messiah, right? Now, again, in Isaiah, you got to, is the servant Israel? Is there a servant? The Messiah, sometimes it's used um, depending on the text. But here, obviously, it's talking about the Messiah, the Son of God, the, the, the sacrifice, the, the one who will bear the sacrifice, the one who will be the deliverer. And so, yeah, so he shall be high and lifted up. This is this these first three verses are just establishing kind of a general overview, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, many will be shocked. That's verse fourteen. Many will be shocked at his appearance um, was so marred beyond human semblance and the form beyond a child of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Startle is probably a better uh, uh, definition there or translation. He will startle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him for that, uh, which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard, they understand. So it's just given them, it, this is like the beginning of the prophecy about the, the servant of the Lord who's mm-hmm. coming, the redeemer, the deliverer, the Messiah. And so then in, then in, uh, Isaiah 53, it starts walking through then this deliverer and what he's going to do as the sacrifice for the sins of his people. You want me to walk through it? I, I'm I'm on the edge of my seat okay. right now. I'm All right. just listening. But you got the context now. I, I get it now. And it helps helps you understand. Makes makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. So all right, verse one. Who has believed what what uh, he has heard from us? <clears throat> and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up <clears throat> before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look upon him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Okay, so this is this is important because it's saying that that when the Messiah comes, he's not going to come in fanfare. He's not going to come in royal royal uh, dignity in the sense of uh, pomp and circumstance like mm-hmm. every other deliverer would you you there's nothing special about him in his appearance Mm -hmm. you wouldn't even recognize he's just like any other hebrew uh man even though he's utterly unique monogenes he's the only begotten son of god he's the only uh he's the second member of the trinity he is not like every other man but in his appearance Mm -hmm. he will come and he will be just like every other hebrew by the way that he looks and 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 that's 
That's what he's talking about. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's been revealed to Israel. Israel's been, this is what Paul talks about even in, in Romans multiple times. Romans 9 and, and, uh, and even in Ephesians uh, 2. Uh, where he talks about the reality that to Israel was given the law and the prophets, was given the revelation of God. That's who, to whom the Messiah comes out of. And so these things have been re- revealed to God's people. And of course, in this context, it's Israel. Mm-hmm. And so, and so Isaiah is reminding them of this reality. And, uh, and so he's saying, yeah, yeah, he had no form or majesty that we should look upon him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was, he was a common man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now he goes on. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with much grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And so now he's beginning to talk about the humiliation mm-hmm. of, the, uh, of the Christ and how he comes. And he was, of course, beaten. He was marred. He was his, uh, obviously, when you deal with the, the, the beatings, the the crucifixion, the brutality that went with that. I mean, he was marred. I mean, you couldn't recognize him. He was, mm-hmm. he was bloodied. He was bruised. He was beaten and crowned of thorns and all, all of that. And, mm-hmm. and he's, beginning to, he's beginning to bring that out in, in this text. He was a man of sorrows on every level, right? And uh, sorrows, sorrows in pain and suffering, but sorrows in the reality of when you trace the life of Christ, right? Rejection after rejection after rejection. Everybody left him. Everybody rejected him, even down to his uh, his disciples in the end, right? Mm-hmm. He was left all alone. Everybody mm-hmm. abandoned him. And so you see that reality. You see the reality, too, of, of all he wanted to do was redeem his people, and everybody mocked him. All he wanted to do was save them from their ultimate uh, dilemma, and every, nobody wanted him. Mm-hmm. All they wanted was this political leader to free them from Roman oppression for a temporary season so they could get what they want, so they could have have uh, their enemies under their foot, and Christ is standing there going, the greatest enemy is you. You've got sin, and you're going to be eternally judged, and God has sent me to take that sin if you'll just follow me. And it rejection, rejection, rejection. So what you're saying is they were more concerned about the politics than they were of the actual prophecy that Christ had that that it was already written. So they were concerned about a political leader. That's all they wanted. They wanted a political. They wanted they, the politics to change. Absolutely. Well, what they wanted was they wanted they wanted social reform hmm. rather than spiritual reform. Mm-hmm. Now, to be technically uh, accurate and with the text, you have to understand even here in Isaiah. The reality of political reform was prophesied. So there's a sense in which the expectation was was cooked in. I mean, I mean, even Zacharias, when he talks about it, when John when John is prophesied in coming. And of course, at the same time that Mary's getting her prophecy that the Messiah is going to be born through her. I mean, they both talk about the reality of their enemies, uh, Israel being vindicated and their enemies being judged and all of that, because that's throughout the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, it talks about the reality of Israel reigning and the Messiah reigning and enemies being being uh, judged. And so there was obviously there and that's that's all going to come and that's going to happen. That's the that's the reign of Christ when he literally for a thousand years has every single nation under his foot Mm -hmm. and he is reigning from Jerusalem and they have to bring in all of the blessings of the nations to him, mm-hmm. right? And recognize that Jerusalem and Israel being the special place and people that God has always designed it to be. And that's coming, and that will happen. It has to happen. It's prophesied to happen. But the problem is the people were expecting that and totally missing this, totally mm-hmm. missing the reality of what had been prophesied all the way through the Old Testament, that they needed a sin bearer that they needed their sins forgiven, that their greatest issue was spiritual, not mm-hmm. just political. Mm-hmm. And so they were wanting one side of the coin. Yeah, because as, as you as you were saying that, I, my first thought was Isaiah 9, 6. And, Absolutely. And, the government and, shall be on his shoulders. Right. Yeah. And of the increase of his government, yep. you know, all those things. Uh, yep. Actually, probably the Prince, of, to, the prince of Peace. Be best to read it. Um, Isaiah 9, uh, starting yep, at one. verse 6 and... 
Okay, so verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name or shoulder, mm-hmm. and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness mm-hmm. from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Yeah. And I, honestly, I, I kind of see why they were expecting Absolutely. this political leader. Absolutely. And this, this gets repeated all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which as New Testament Gentiles, we have to understand Scripture rightly because, mm-hmm. again, that was prophesied and that should be expected. Mm-hmm. But that that reality cannot be divorced from all the passages that talk about needing a new heart, yeah. <laughs> right? All the passages yeah. of the new covenant that speak mm-hmm. of taking out the stony heart and getting a heart of flesh, all of the sacrifices, which all point to one in one direction mm-hmm. where the sin of man needs to be dealt with by a, by an ultimate sacrifice. And, and I mean, the scriptures are myriad that speak to that reality of, of reconciliation and being right with God. And of course, all even throughout the Psalms and that, that the need for that, Mm-hmm. And uh, and so so that's the problem. And of course, some of that even uh, being the way Israel was taught through uh, through the scribes and Pharisees and their over fixation on the conquering of their enemies, mm-hmm. you know, and preaching those texts. I mean, they never taught Isaiah 53. Why? Because it, because it begins to point them away from those things. Hmm. And so that reality yeah, that was that was one of my next questions. Yeah, because I know that uh, one of the things that. You know, when I have a conversation with uh, someone that is Jewish, yep. Isaiah 53 is one of those things that a lot of their teachers, their rabbis actually skip over. Oh, yeah. They don't even talk about it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Yep. Uh, I did have a, a, a question or I'd say an observation here yep. on uh, verse number four of Isaiah 53. Back to Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. My question is, was it hard for them at that time, you know, Israel or, you know, even the Israelites uh, around, you know, 33 AD, was Mm -hmm. it hard for them to understand that somebody was going to die for their sins or was going to, going to bear it? Because here, you know, surely he has borne our griefs and I'm not thinking that griefs are, is the pain. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking griefs is the sin. Is that what, is Mm -hmm. that, was that, that's pointing Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. is it, was it hard for them to get the concept of like, Hey, you should be dying for your sins, but, but the servant that is coming is going to be the one to, to bear those sins for you. Yeah. Um, they would have had to have been deaf and blind. Really? Well, of course they were spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, go all the way back. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Hmm. And what do you see in Genesis chapter 3? You see sin. You see a curse. Mm-hmm. And you see what? You see a substitutionary sacrifice. Okay. So you have Adam and Eve in the garden. Mm-hmm. And what happens? They sin, mm-hmm. and God does what? He kills an animal and makes a covering for them. Okay. You see it? I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm Genesis, looking for it. Genesis chapter 3, mm-hmm. and this is just the beginning of the foreshadowing of what you're, of what you're asking about. And mm-hmm. so you go all the way back to Genesis chapter, chapter 3, and it says, um, verse 20, man, man uh, called his wife, wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Mm -hmm. So what happened there? An animal died Mm. to make a garment of skin Mm -hmm. and cover them. Hmm. That is the first death in the Bible. And what what was it? It was an animal that died so that man can be covered. Right. Hmm. Because, of course, now his sin is out there. He sees he's naked and all of that. And that that is a foreshadowing of what's coming where the, the sacrificial system would take place. Well, what happens in Genesis chapter four? Right. With Cain and Abel, one brings an offering that's acceptable to God. Mm-hmm. One brings one that's not. One's mm-hmm. on the fruit of the ground. One's an animal sacrifice. You have to wrestle with that and say, oh, what's going on there? Because mm-hmm. now we have clearly have another animal sacrifice 
clearly there was, some, we don't have all the details, but God had made it clear what was acceptable, what he wanted. And obviously he didn't want the fruit of the ground or else he would have accepted, he would have accepted that from Cain. Mm-hmm. But Abel brings the, the, the offering that's accepted. And you see that reality now continues on. Mm-hmm. Well, that gets codified, what we then see throughout. I mean, you can go all the way to Genesis uh, chapter uh, 15 with the Abrahamic covenant. And then you see the Abrahamic covenant and the, and the slicing of the animals and the sacrifice that was given and, mm-hmm. and the walking between the sacrifices. And that's the covenant signature where God himself does the whole thing, which is an unconditional government uh, covenant. You see uh, uh, Noah was told to bring special animals more than two certain animals why so he could make a sacrifice Mm. right he didn't bring just two of every kind Mm -hmm. obviously he brought more why because when they get off the ark what happens he makes an altar and he sacrifices well if he only brought two then whatever that was (laughs) is done right Right. why because god had given him instructions because that's what they had been doing all along that wasn't odd for noah and so this is god's plan all along Mm -hmm. and it was built in because this is this was always the way that there would, that there, as he, the writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no, no remission. remission of sins. Mm-hmm. Right now, in Israel's system, that shedding of blood was substitutionary, not through a human, but through an animal. Right, mm-hmm. where the animal stood in your place and the animal died. Mm-hmm. Right now, of course, this gets massively codified, even though it's going all the way through. You can see it with uh, Abraham and Isaac, right? He's going to slay Isaac as an act of worship to the Lord. Of course, he doesn't because the ram's over there. He knew exactly what to do. Why? Mm-hmm. Because this is what they did. Mm-hmm. And you can see this throughout throughout Genesis. But it gets codified when you get to Exodus, right, with, uh, with uh, the Passover, mm-hmm. right, which is all points to Christ. Right. And so you have, the, you have the death angel coming over, and the death angel's going to pass over. That's what it stands for. Mm-hmm. And he's going to kill all the firstborn. And the only ones that will not be slayed is if the house, the doorposts are covered with the blood of the lamb who was slain on behalf of that, uh, on behalf of that family, on behalf of that firstborn child. Mm -hmm. And so he passes over and it's only those who are covered in the blood of the lamb that are saved. I mean, that, that is, that is the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Just coming, which go all the way back to Genesis three, you could see it. Mm -hmm. And now it's getting more clear. It's called progressive revelation. God reveals himself over time, and each time it gets clear and clear and clear, and it just keeps going. And, of course, when we get to the New Testament, it, it's really clear then because we know who the Passover lamb is when John the Baptist says, look, there he is, the lamb of God that takes mm-hmm. away the sin of the world. And Paul says Christ is our Passover lamb in in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. So, But you go back to Exodus uh, 12, and you see the Passover being established and that reality where they needed protection from the wrath of God, that's what the death angel is, mm-hmm. and they would only find it under the blood, the blood of a sacrifice. Well, that gets even codified, again, progressive revelation, even more when you get to the Day of Atonement. And now we see even more details given to it. Once a year, the whole nation had to be, had to be covered, and they had to go through the Day of Atonement and that ritual, which was two lambs, two lambs, not just one. One, you, the father had to lay his hand as the representative of the home. He had to lay his hand on the head of that of what was called the the one lamb, which was called the scapegoat, scapegoat yeah. and he would he would he would confess all the sins. Oh, right man. now, now this would have been the high priest would have done it on the day of atonement for the whole nation. Mm-hmm. The father the father would do it on the the uh, in the sin sacrifices for himself for his family whatever when that was done. But in the day of atonement, the the high priest does it. Mm-hmm. over the whole nation, right? And he's mm-hmm. and he's and he's confessing his sins. So that that goat that gets driven out of the of the tribe out of the nation and driven off to die carrying he bears our sins, mm-hmm. right? Just what you're seeing. He mm-hmm. bore our sins. He's the scapegoat mm-hmm. and he goes off to die. I mean, that's his whole point. Mm-hmm. And he's going to die out there in the wilderness mm-hmm. bearing the sins. Then you have the other lamb who serves as who serves as the sacrificial lamb of the blood. And so that's the lamb then that is cut, throat is slit, and and the blood of the lamb is taken into the holy of holies, right? And so and that's put on the mercy seat. And that's put on the mercy seat once mm-hmm. a year, right? And so the high priest goes into the holy of holies with the blood of the lamb, sprinkles it on the on the mercy seat. 
in hope that the Lord would accept it as a covering for that year. Mm. And that's why everybody waited. They waited in anticipation to see if the high priest comes out. History says they would tie a rope around his leg. Right. Yeah, I mean, I heard about the, that. And yeah. You have bells and yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's that's you know, there's, because if he doesn't come out, i.e., because if you go into the holy of holies, you get struck dead. Mm-hmm. Only one man was allowed to go in once a year. Mm-hmm. Right. When the Shekinah glory was there, of course, when the glory is lifted and they moved the tent, then obviously the 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 um, different uh, groups that were in charge of moving the tent. That of course that was different because the Shekinah glory was lifted. So, so he goes in fear and trepidation. I mean, you could just imagine. Oh my goodness! <laughs> because if the Lord doesn't accept it, you're oh, done. Man, you're yeah. done. Uh huh. So he, everybody's watching, and everybody's anticipating. Here we go. He goes in, and there he is offering the blood, sprinkling it on the mercy seat. Will the Lord accept the sacrifice? Listen, you ready? That's the resurrection. He goes in. This is what Hebrews four says. Jesus Christ is a better high priest mm. because he goes through the heavenly realm and he offers his blood to the Father. This is what all happened, right? So when he comes out of the tomb, when he, and this is Sunday's message, when he comes out of the tomb, it's like the high priest coming out of the Holy of that Holies so and has been accepted. Mm. That's why Paul says he has been raised for our justification and it proves to the believer God has accepted the sacrifice. I have no fear. Mm. That is so good. Now tell me. That's so good. Now tell me. You live your life every year doing that. Oh, you man. live your life every day offering that. So they offer sacrifices every day. There was mm-hmm. there was blood. There was blood being shed. There was smoke going on every yeah. single day. Even on the Sabbath, they're offering sacrifices mm-hmm. for sin, for for peace offerings, for Thanksgiving offerings. I mean, it's nonstop. All of those, every single offering points to Christ, right? The need, the need for a Messiah. Remember, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, there's one who's coming. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Mm-hmm. There is a seed coming mm-hmm. who will crush the head of the serpent. He'll bruise his heel. He's going to bite the heel, mm-hmm. but he's going to crush his head. Mm-hmm. That's the promise that gets woven throughout the whole Testament, right? Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, yes. They, they, they knew, I mean, in the system of, of, of the Old Testament law, it was clear, it was obvious that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the Old Testament law was you had to keep shedding it. You had to keep shedding it. Mm-hmm. You had to keep shedding it. And there was one coming who was going to bring an end to that. That's what Isaiah 53 is pointing to and all the other passages that do the same. And so, of course, that's what we see when we get to the New Testament. And again, again, don't miss what I said in the beginning. New Testament Gospels, Old Testament history, prophets. Who's John the Baptist? He's an Old Testament prophet. Mm -hmm. He's like Isaiah. He's an Old Testament prophet. He's the last of the Old Testament prophet. Mm -hmm. Well, does he look at Jesus and say, look, there's the great rabbi. Mm-mm. He says, there's the Lamb of God, mm-hmm. the sacri- the one we've been waiting for, mm. who's going to crush our enemies. No, who takes away the sin of the world. And the Pharisees are looking at him like, man, you've got to be crazy. Man, that's, I, 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 don't, I don't think I've ever had that explained to me the way that it explained to me that way. I mean, I've heard... All the stories. I mean, I'm a kid from the 80s, so I watched Superbook. So I, I saw a lot of this stuff happen in, in cartoon form and the stories being told, you know, yeah. Christian school kid, you know, growing up hearing all this stuff. But to actually understand it in that, ironically, we are only on verse four of chapter 53 this is, of Isaiah. But this is why this the, is rich. This is why the book of Hebrews is glorious okay. and why the book of Hebrews is so misunderstood mm-hmm. and so hard for most people to grapple with because they don't know their Old Testament. Right. Book of Hebrews and the book of Le- Leviticus just weave. They, you, you, you have to read them both together. And of course, mm-hmm. the book of Leviticus is where we go and, and really 
we really burrow into the Day of Atonement, mm-hmm. right? Where the whole Passover and Day of Atonement and all of that is found in, in Leviticus, especially the Day of Atonement. And that ties so clearly to Hebrews, right? Leviticus was all about God dwelling in the midst of his people, and Hebrews shows how, how God has brought the sacrifice so that he can dwell with his people mm-hmm. because the sin has been dealt with, the sacrifice which Hebrews says over and over again, a better sacrifice, a better high priest, a better covenant. A, b- a better mediator, all these things. So the book of Hebrews is constantly going to the Old Testament and looking at the the, the old system, right, the old covenant, mm-hmm. and then it compares it to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's all it does. And it says, yep, you had that, now you have this. You had that, now you have this. It's, gl- it's glorious. Mm-hmm. And even in chapter 4, it uses that same phraseology, talking about Christ offering his blood on the mercy seat, just like the high priest did. Mm-hmm. And it was accepted. And that's all a picture of Christ going into the Holy of Holies, which he did after he was crucified. And he comes out, and that's coming out of the tomb, as accepted, as vindicated by the Father. And, and yeah, it's that's so good. Yeah. And there's, yeah. So that answers your question. Oh, man. <laughs> Answer my question. <laughs> sorry for going so long. No, that I needed that. Uh, and we are in we are uh, well past the time, but we're going to keep going on this one. This is just going to be a super podcast How about that. <laughs> just a just a really long podcast. Uh, and but this it deserves this this attention. Though. Yeah. So look at look. So he goes on. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Notice notice the change in the pronouns. Right. So when when he starts out. Um, um, notice in verse 13 of 50, behold, my servant shall mm-hmm. act wisely. Right. See, you know, God is speaking. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. It's not Isaiah. He shall be high and lifted up as, as many were astonished at you. See, you see the difference. Mm-hmm. It's like God is speaking about Christ and almost to Christ, mm-hmm. right? His appearance was so marred beyond human assemblance and, and so on. And then when you get, um, when you get down to 53, it's like Isaiah now is speaking to the nation. Right. And the, yeah. That's that so, question. And that's, yeah. that, was, that was weird for me. Yeah, I, no, that's why I was like, why is stu- there a question right Yeah, there? well, because when you're studying Scripture, you notice, you take notice of everything. You take mm-hmm. notice of the pronouns. You take notice of what's going on. And oftentimes the audience changes, mm-hmm. right, in the author and what he's doing. And so, uh, but, but notice, notice right here, to whom is the arm of the Lord, look at verse 2, for he grew up before him like a young plant. Before who, Right. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. Now he's starting to, now he's starting to change to the we. He's mm-hmm. bringing in the whole of Israel, mm-hmm. right? And that becomes really, re- really big when you get to this, this, this section of Isaiah fifty-three, because now he's going to start talking about the people, right? He bore our griefs. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to Israel. He's talking about Israel. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So you can see, very important to get that, because this is all speaking very clearly of a, of a, of a theological truth that is the underpinning of the gospel, and it is substitutionary atonement, okay. where, where Christ is the sinner's substitute where he is which is exactly what we talked about with the passover with the day of atonement with Mm -hmm. the sacrificial system right it's like the believer the the israel knew because god made it clear ezekiel 18 the soul that sins must die Mm -hmm. all the way back to genesis chapter 3 if you sin you will what surely die Mm -hmm. that's your that's what you deserve and so throughout the bible you see that and of course God then brings the sacrificial system in to deal with man's sin on a temporary basis. But ultimately, that's pushing forward, looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice, which is coming to deal with it eternally. And that's this. Mm-hmm. And so Isaiah is looking forward to that. and He's talking about that. He's anticipating that. And uh, it's glorious. And so you can see it there. It, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, not for his own, upon him. There you go, the sacrificial lamb, of the substitutionary atonement. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is substitutionary uh, atonement language that cannot be denied. And this is big because a lot of people deny that. A lot of people think that what Jesus Christ was doing in the crucifixion was setting an example. Yeah. That he was he was some sort of example or that he was um, somehow paying. This is big even in like C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia where where Christ in the atonement is paying off Satan. Right. Where he is. He is having to pay the payment that Satan demanded. He's burst a lot of bubbles. Yeah. So Satan Satan had a payment. Yeah. That that he held he held us captive he yeah. held Israel captive yeah. and Christ had to pay Satan mm. right to pay to get us out of free card get us out of jail monopoly right this is like this yeah. is like heavenly monopoly and, and stole the keys and of stole, life yeah, and death that's yeah, what I learned as a kid yeah no no and so it's all about God mm-hmm. right it's all about propitiation is directed towards God and God propitiates himself. Mm -hmm. Appeasement is directed. Satan doesn't need to be appeased. God needs to be, be appeased. We Mm -hmm. sinned against God, not against Satan, Mm -hmm. right? We're under the wrath of God, not under the wrath of, of Satan. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's, there's obviously we're in the kingdom of darkness because of our sin, right? Because we've been separated from God and, and it's God that delivers us out. Not Satan. He doesn't let us anybody go because God gives him a payment, mm-hmm. right? It's God who is ultimately reconciled. All of these things, and so that is coming out here. And Isaiah is pointing to that, and he's pointing. This is all from God. It's God who brings him. It's His servant. Remember, all the way back to fifty-two. Right. He's my servant. Mm-hmm. My this whole thing is driven by God the Father. That's what's glorious about Isaiah fifty-three. That screams that that. That you can't deny. It's God the Father's plan. It's God the Father's servant. Mm-hmm. It's God the Father's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. He is doing the whole thing on behalf of his people. It's 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 so encouraging. Mm-hmm. Of course, we see the reality of sin, Isaiah fifty three, six, right? And there here's the language of the sheep, right? We're all sheep, we're all strand. This is uh, Romans three. We've all turned away from God, we've all rebelled, every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has carried it's all like of that scapegoat. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the language. You see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this this would have made in the in the historical context of the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. They 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 would have been picturing it, going, yeah, yeah, yeah I see this. Mm-hmm. There's one coming that's mm-hmm. going to bear that, right? And we we need it. And again, the reminder every year. Think about it, like. Like they had to go every year and do this. Now the Day of Atonement was annual, but the sacrifice every time you sin, every time you go to the priest and bring your sin offering. I mean, that was a reminder of what it was a reminder how wicked you were. It was a reminder how gracious God is, and it was a reminder that this goat or this lamb, it doesn't cut it. Because mm. if it cut it, you wouldn't have to keep bringing this thing. Right, right. So it was a reminder you need something better than this. Mm. But this is God's provision right now. You can imagine the anticipation. You can imagine, man, when are we going to get the ultimate sacrifice, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, some Jews got it. Most didn't because they were deceived and their mm. eyes were blind. But verse 7, um, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep before his shears was silent, so he opened not his mouth. Here you see, the again, the humiliation and the and the willingness of Christ to go. Like he wasn't forced to go. He willingly lays down his life, mm-hmm. right? As the father, uh, for the father, as the father ultimately we'll see in a minute is the one who, who, who kills him, who crushes him. And he willingly lays himself down. Again, you go all the way back to Genesis 22. It's the type of Christ with I- Isaac who willingly lays himself down, who carries the cross, who carries the wood mm-hmm. on his back up the up the mountain, mm-hmm. Mount Moriah, which is Jerus- which will become Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. That's where the cross will ultimately be. And the very place where Isaac was laid on the altar is the very place where Christ will be laid on the cross. Mm-hmm. And you can see the picture, again, being foreshadowed, being pictured. This is coming. And that's why Abraham says in 22, what is it, 14, on this mountain the Lord will provide. Mm-hmm. And he did. He provided the ultimate sacrifice, right. the ultimate son mm-hmm. who would bear the sin. And it's glorious. And so he goes silently. He goes willingly. He goes 
he goes uh, faithfully as the sacrificial as the sacrificial lamb. It's so much. I'm, I, I hope you realize. You hope, I hope you see my reservation here because there's so much. I'm passing over, man. Yeah. So I, so how about this? How about we end the podcast here and yep. then we come back and I will have the remainder of this conversation for you all tomorrow. Okay. And That'll here's work. the thing, because I'm already close to an hour and I don't like to be over an hour. Yeah. But I'll give you all another one. And this will be uh, uh, you all, all of us, uh, not you all, but all of us reflecting on Isaiah 53 yep. uh, on Good Friday. Yep. So this will that'll be, you know, a great time to reflect on this. So I'll like end it. it here. Thank you all for tuning into the Truth Talks podcast. And uh, you've already heard the gospel, so we don't have to do that again. <laughs> and you're going to hear it again tomorrow. So thank you all for listening. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the truth talks podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the truth talks podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.